welcome to the Slightly Late Tales from the Shadows, uh, the podcast where the Shadow Girls get together, talk about stories, storytelling, and other interesting things that have caught our interest. My name is Emily Collins. My name is Georgia Doyley. My name is Deirdre Quinn. Uh, we also have the three snoring doggos with us, as usual, and we will be joined later by Orla. And today we're talking about transforming spouses particularly transforming spouses that appear as animals then turn into humans and sometimes turn back into animals. Uh, it's a story, it's a theme that shows up a lot in fairy tales, sometimes under the heading of like the beastly bridegroom or uh, animal brides. And we're going to talk about some of the stories. Uh, some of the stories you may have heard before, some might be new to you, uh, but we do hope that you enjoy them. So who would like to go first with their, their beast bride, beast husband? <laughs> you, you, you can't see this but they, they, it's literally like they're tossing an invisible ball back and forth between them I just want to hear the Saif and Fionn story again. Uh, oh, we'll start with oh. Saif and Fionn okay this is Saif and Fionn takes two okay. um, so thankfully though with the extra time I did get to look up a few other bits and bobs about the story of Saif and Fionn and this is this is the first time we are on the podcast telling a story about Fionn McCool yes so I won't lie I do feel the pressure on those shoulders. Um, because although I love, love, love finding these stories and collecting these stories, I am no way an expert in the stories themselves. But when it comes to stories about Fionn McCool, there's an endless supply in Irish mythology. Fionn McCool was a great hero in Irish stories because he was in charge of a set of warriors called Nafiana. Now, Nafiana's purpose was to defend the High King of Ireland, but they also had some other rules. One in particular was to join the Fianna. You'd have to run through a forest without breaking any twigs. And you also would have to have about 100 Yeah, plats. we've had debates today. Is it 100? Is yeah. it 12? Is it 9? But you'd have to have a lot of plaits in your hair. Yes, exactly. So you'd have to have all these different types and styles of plaits in your hair. And while journeying throughout this... Um, on on if the you, run. On the run, on this boot camp to join the Fianna, you couldn't unravel any of these plots, otherwise you couldn't join. Yeah, to show that you got, you, know, you could do good braids. Exactly. Which exactly. always reminds me of kind of like the Spartans, because before they would go off to war, they would perfume their hair and sort of get all dolled up. And there's accounts of like a Persian spy was saying, ah, oh, we're going to cream these guys. Look, they're, they're like a bunch of sissies all doing each other's hair. And he was like, mm. no. They think this is, you know, they're going to fight to the death, so they want to have their bodies ready for the afterlife. Yeah. yeah. Which is just what that reminds me of. Oh, yeah. No, and That's I, idea. Yeah. And I just love that idea that they know that they're going to be prepared for anything. Yeah. yeah it's they, a really nice But thing. it also indicates that the men of the Fianna had to have long hair. Yeah. Which was always another new thing. And, of course, Fionn wasn't always called Fionn. The only yeah. reason why he got the name Fionn was because he had that blonde hair. Yeah. He, uh, he, yeah. His hair went prematurely white. Yes. Because he got involved with a fairy lady and uh, that's a different story. <laughs> he has he has a lot of run-in with fairy ladies. A lot of them. There's a lot of fairy ladies just wandering around the countryside in Bronze Age Ireland. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you'd see them with either, was it their... Anytime you hear stories of the two of they Danon, it's always they're either in green robes or red robes. Yeah, with like some, white blonde hair. They've got fantastic clothes. Yes, oh, the best. And the jewels and everything. So the Fianna, yeah. they were... Uh, they were Warriors most of the time, but they also did were hunters. Yes, hunters. They, they enjoyed going yeah. hunting. Yeah, and poets and poets as well. And the story that I want to tell you is um, about the birth of one of the most famous poets that there was in the Fianna. But there was always another rule. If you were a member of the Fianna, there was a thing called a gesh, which we've talked about a little bit before. And a gesh was a bond. And so if someone terms put us and conditions exactly with the terms and conditions that everybody forgets to read fully but somehow or another they turn it back up when you least expect it because a gesh was kind of a bond and a gesh of the fianna was if any woman was in need of help a fianna had to stand up and help them when they needed it yeah. even if this woman had previously been trying to hack them to pieces if she asked for their help mm -hmm. they had to give it exactly so it's a little bit of a pretense Which to the story i fianna yeah. introduced that and just to go off on a yeah. bit of a tangent i've always wondered if he introduced that rule to the fianna because his mother, when, when she was you know, pregnant with him and giving birth, basically had to go on the run. And a number of the former members of the Fianna were hunting her under the word from his grandfather. So I've always wondered if this was sort of, he was affected by his mother's story to try to protect women in that way. Oh, there is yeah. that too. Yeah. And when it comes to the birth of Ushin story yeah. as well, there is that level of protection and the real... Um, 
I don't want to say control feeling, but he has this sort of attaches himself yeah. to certain women in his life. Yeah, but the were female members of the Fiona. Yeah, uh, we don't get as many stories about them because of just yeah. you know the way the stories were mm. marked, written down, and patriarchy. <laughs> I heard of it actually. I was reading um, an encyclopedia on different characters for on of the Irish mythology stuff, and I found one female member of the Fiona, Ban Fiona, Ban Fian, if if that's how you pronounce it. And her story says that she had an incestuous relationship with her father, had oh. three sons, and then ran away to join the Fianna. Right. Okay. Yeah, escaped Ooh. that abusive relationship. Yeah, but I haven't found out much what? else on her okay. about that. So, yeah, that struck yeah. me for six. Yeah, because you do sometimes get them mentioned, like, in passing as, um, particularly messengers. Yes. And trainers. Like, a lot of the, the great warriors were trained by women. Fionn himself was, was trained mm. by uh, two women, a druidess and a warrior. Names I can't remember. Why isn't Shannon here? <laughs> she, she's, she is an expert on this story. Oh, Shannon is, yeah. yeah. Um, but one of them was his aunt, and I think her name translated. Shannon was telling me there's one translation of her name which is penis stopper. Because <coughs> she, yeah, she refused to marry, and the two of them, and it's more than likely they were in a romantic relationship oh, together. Was, was it Leah Lucra and someone yeah, else? Yeah, Leah Lucra and. Poe? Mo? Begins with a B. We will get Shannon and she will tell yes, us Yes, exactly. Us. Sorry, I've managed to get on a little bit of a tangent. <laughs> so, um, back to animal brides. Yes. And the Fiona hunting. Yes. Um, now, Sive might be a new name for many people. Sive was a name, when translated, had a meaning of good or loveliness about her. So, if you will... Think of that girl in the cheesy romance films when she has the glowing light illuminating her. That's what I like to call the Sive effect. Just uh-huh. think of it that way. But where the story is based is near a mountain called Slievenamon. And that in Irish translates to the mountain of women. And an early story, it says that Fionn Cool was meant to have been chased by an awful lot of women around this mountain, so he was quite attached to the attention. Yeah, because they, they reckoned he needed a wife, and, well, of they course. were single. Exactly. If you're a man of an age and here on Irish mythology and you don't have someone by your side, they'll have questions about you, which is awful to think. But when it came to the story of how Fionn met Saif, it all starts when Fionn goes on a hunt with his two loyal hounds, Bran and Skjolan. And to tie in further with this whole... Magical spouse thing. Uh, yeah, uh, Bran and Skjolan were actually his family yeah. transformed into animals. They were either his cousins or his uh, niece, niece and, and nephew. nephew. Yeah, I heard, I think it was his aunt's two children, but she, while she was pregnant and human, was turned into a hound, so they were born when as they pups. When they were born, they yeah. were born as puppies, yeah. and they basically decided, oh, you humans, you get up to all sorts of stuff, we're just staying as dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and they were said to be as intelligent as man. More intelligent than some men. (laughs) Yes. So with this being his family, he would only ever go hunting with Bran and Skjolan. And there's a moment when they go out hunting and Bran and Skjolan find a deer or fawn and they start to play with the fawn. Which is weird. Which is really unusual if they're going to be hunting for all of the Fianna and the Fianna's dinner. Yeah. But they find one that the hounds seem to be quite playful with. And because, like we said before, they're known to have... They're magic dogs. They're magic dogs with a human intelligence. They can see things other dogs can't see. So Fionn's quite intrigued by this. And um, after the hunt takes place, he brings the deer back to uh, Hill of Allen. And later that night, the men and the women of Fianna sit down to their hunt, uh, what they got that day, their score of the animals, cooking them on the fires. And that was a coal ring in the fire, not a dog snoring. But... That night, when Fionn went back to his chambers, he tried to go to sleep, but there was a woman standing in the doorway, laughing. Now, our dear hero Fionn has been quite tired from the day's adventure, but he looks up and he asks, Woman, why are you laughing at me? And he said, and she said to him, which is, I think, a beautiful quote that I found a while ago, that says, I am laughing, said the maiden, because I have finally, finally found my heart's desire. And I was afraid I might be killed by by him, though death at his hand would be preferable to a life at the hand of another. And who I am is Saif, called Bali Darig, for my father's magician Darg, who, who does not love you, and therefore would not let me come to you. I have had no lover in the people of the Shi, but one wanted me, the fair Derek, Derica, or the dark man. 
and he has pursued me night and day in my form as a doe. Will you give me your protection, for I have looked for you for a long time to ask to do so? And of course, Fionn agreed, and with the rules of the Gesh, he had to look after this woman. So any time that she was in the presence inside the chambers and the fortress, she would be of human form. But the moment that she would step out, she would go back to her dawn or deer-like state. Now, from this, they did, of course, have their moment together and became Fionn and wife, <laughs> or Fionn and lady friend. Um, but as these days go on, they do fall head over heels for each other. But Fionn is needed to go out to battle. But he, that's what he do, does. Exactly, exactly. It's kind of like, I found the love of my life. See you, love. I have to go somewhere. Of course. <laughs> Got a monster to slay. Exactly. So, um, Fionn did ask Saiv to stay in the fortress and I will return to see you off soon. So, she agrees to stay there. But as he goes off to battle, of course, he wins and saves the day for the people of Ireland, for his high king, and defends them the best he can. But when he returns to his fortress, he sees there's a lot of commotion, a lot of running back and forth, back and forth. And he's searching his chambers, but he can't find his dearly beloved. And there, a messenger does tell him that there was a figure that appeared outside the fortress with two shadowy hounds that looked awfully like Bran and Shkjolan. And when the deer arose, or should we say Sive arose, she was so excited, her love had returned from battle, that she ran out, out of the fortress and turned back to her doe state. And there the deer was taken away by a mist, a mist of the dark man. Mm. Now, when Fionn heard this story of a dark mist, he was horrified, a dark mist. Only a few he could think of had this power indeed. So he went searching with Bran and Shkjolan. Any moment he had free, not battling or looking after others, he went in searching for his beloved throughout all the forests. Now, some say this took five years, and others say it took seven years to go and track down this creature. But he didn't find a creature at the end of this time. He ended up finding a small boy of about seven years old, been looked after by hounds. And he knew there was something special about this boy, because Bran and Shkjolan would be very playful, very friendly with him. Very gentle. Very gentle indeed. And there he saw that the boy's eyes were as dark and deep and watery like a deer's. And he realised this was Sives, and of course his son too. So there they called him Oshin, which is the Irish way of saying little deer or little fawn. So he brought Oshin back to the fortress. And it did take some time for Oshin to talk once more since he'd been raised in the wilderness. I like to think of it as a bit of a Tarzan moment, but yeah. he does he does return. Um, but when he returned to the fortress and he learned how to come back and talk to Fionn, of course... Ushin could tell him there was a dark man who would appear to his mother and with a hazel wand would hit her over the head. Mm. And it was the hazel wood that was the magic. And when he realised hazel wood in a dark mist, it was far darker. But although he could never truly track down Saiv again, he did have a memory of Saiv, of Saiv in his son Ushin. And like we said before, Ushin became the best poet that there was in all of the Fina. Oshin was a loyal side to Fionn McCool throughout all of the cycle of the Fionn and the Fianna. But he also had a son himself called Oscar, who's a grandson. And there's great adventures of how Fionn, Oshin and Oscar went to take on the rest of the other groups and warriors who tried to come and invade Ireland. Time gets a bit timey-wimey because you do have Fionn fighting side by side with his son and his grandson. Yes, <laughs> it's quite strange. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Fionn, before he was called Fionn, before his hair went prematurely white, he was called, um, was it Divna? Dectra? It's something like that. Dectra was Cucullin's mother. No. Demna? Demna. Yes, it was Demna. Yeah, was which Demna? again mm. means, you know, young deer. Because oh. Fionn, he was part of Clan Bashna. Um, mm. Like most of the men of the Fianna, they either came from Clan Morna or Clan Bashna. And Clan Bashna's sort of symbol or spirit animal, it's not really clear what exactly it was, but they their big thing was the deer. That was their sign. Mm. So the fact that Fionn has for so many instances occasions with deer actually mark from the leprechaun museum mm, uh, he has it, his own reading yeah, the, of the, the boss story of Night, well he has pointed out that to everyone else in the fiona who like wasn't in the chamber when i've turned into a woman it just looked like a deer walked into fion's room there was some noise and a deer walked out <laughs> and then seven years later they find a baby and fion says well that's mine <laughs> I would love to be able to do a reading of the birth of Oshin, but one of the other Fiona's perspective. Yeah, it's like, oh God, is he, is he, did he, 
No, he, he couldn't have. Yeah. Could he? Yeah. No, oh, what? I'm not going to ask him. He really did. <laughs> he's he's the leader. We don't question yeah. the leader. Yeah. No. Also, I mean, up in Ulster, they do weird things with horses. <laughs> oh, some very weird things with horses. Yeah. So bestiality. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That that is a. Uh, you know, a, a an animal spouse story. And I was looking at Bruno Bethlehem, who I sometimes agree with, sometimes don't, uh, in his book, The Use of Enchantment, which is sort of a Freudian analysis on how fairy tales affect the development of children. Um, but he did have at one point a, how do you dis like the definition for one of these animal spouse stories, where if I can find it. Ah, yes. First, it remains unknown how and why the groom was turned into an animal. He's talking mostly about grooms here. Which so when the you know the human person first meets the animal, they don't realize this is a an enchanted animal. When Fionn first meets Sive, he just thinks she's a deer who his dogs really like. Second, a sorceress or sorcerer who did the deed, but remains unpunished for their evil doings. Which I think yeah that works. And third, it is the father who causes the heroine to be joined to the beast. She does it because of her love and obedience to her father. Overtly, the mother plays no significant role, which is the one point where the Fionn and Sive story doesn't fit in. Yeah. But then again, he then goes on to talk about Beauty and the Beast in relation to the Oedipal Electoral Complex, and I don't necessarily buy into that. Uh, so, I mean, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. Mm. Well, there was, I was, remember I was watching um, a video, was it last night or the night before? And they were talking about saying there's the hero's journey where mm. something happens, they go on a great journey, there's a challenge that must to be found. Yeah, there's, there's and like then 12, there's happy. 12 steps of the hero's journey, and it's mm. Campbell. Oh, Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Yeah, Joseph yeah, that, Campbell, that the hero's journey. Um, but he was, there was something about it saying how Irish mythology doesn't really quite follow the formula. Yeah, we sort of, we've got bits of it and you can sort of stretch it to make it fit vaguely but we do also tend to go off on our own tangents oh don't which i think is if you've ever listened you've listened to us we do (laughs) do go on tangents it's a very natural thing for us irish a very natural thing i also think like now i obviously you guys are a lot more proficient in this than i am but when it comes to irish mythology from from what i've read is that like women are just more interesting figures in irish mythology compared to a lot of the other western yeah there, there are a lot of I mean, a lot of them have been sort of written out or you sort of get the feeling that, like, Skahog, who was the trainer of Cúhollán, you get the feeling like she has her own stories, but for whatever reason they haven't been written down or they haven't been found yet. Yeah, yeah. just so incredibly hard yeah. to find. Yeah, it's weird with, um, with Celtic, like, and I'm saying Celtic in quotes because there's a whole debate about whether, whether is, is Ireland even Celtic? Were the Celts even here? Did they just trade with us or did they settle here? But that's a different point. What we're going to, what we call sort of Celtic, Celtic Irish society and that thing... We know about a lot of it from what other people wrote down. So oh, we know, like, us, right? yeah. So we know like bits from you know little bits that the Romans would have written down, and then these stories that were passed on orally were then written down. But they're written down by monks, who would have had their view of the world. So they are, when they're writing it down, they're, you know, using what they believe to be normal to write their thing. Which is why we get this sort of weird thing with women as to were women what was the status of women. Mm. Because a lot of the time, like things like inheritance, they just, you know, unless it's explicitly stated, they just assume the inheritance goes to the man. But the way inheritance seemed to work mostly at the time was, I killed you, so I take your stuff, that's me inheriting it. <laughs> I've actually, I found that with like family members yeah. as well. Yeah, a lot Like of you hear of a lot of stories of like foster brothers. Oh, yeah, and yeah. huge thing with fostering, which was a way of getting alliances and was also a way of education. Mm. But um, we don't, yeah. like, we do get a few women like Queen Maeve who's shown as a woman with power and authority and land rights in her own, but she, it's not clear, like, was she the norm or the exception? Mm-hmm. Um, she's just one of the few records we have yeah. of her. Uh, but it does seem that women were treated differently in society and were in some ways revered because this whole thing about, you know, the earth was female and the goddess. And there's records of, like, very powerful female priestesses, mm-hmm. druids, very powerful female bards, um... But it does seem to have been, it was a, I'm not saying that there was no patriarchy, but it was a different form of patriarchy and that women had a different status. Oh, okay. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you get stories of, uh, like, it's um, King, King Occupied Lick, I believe. Wow. Yeah, who's, uh, I could have this wrong, <laughs> who's the father of uh, Queen Maeve. And when Queen Maeve divorces King Conor MacNessa because a woman could choose to divorce her husband... And there's actually a whole list of reasons women can divorce their husbands, mm-hmm. uh, which I found in a 
book of bardic lore. He goes, oh, well, um, oh, we had our whole alliance on you marrying one of my daughters. Uh, I've got another daughter here, just, you know, interchangeable. It's fine, just take her. So <laughs> you sort of get this weird thing of Queen Maeve in that story being very assertive of, you know, female rights, female power, female autonomy, but then her sister is just sort of shoved off into the marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, there was this whole thing about, again, I'm on a tangent, about reasons women could divorce their husbands, uh, reasons you could separate for, like, you could have, like, a trial separation and then get back. And one of the things was if your husband could not satisfy you in bed or could not get you pregnant, you could do a thing where you would, like, separate for a year and you could go off and find someone who could, you know, was a bit more virile and then come back. But the child that was conceived was was seen as being the husband's rather than the gigolo. Oh my word! <laughs> I, I was trying to think what's the male version of mistress. <laughs> it's master that doesn't have the same connotations. No, yeah, I'm I'm just envisioning like because one thing that I always get a bit confused with, with generally in life, um, is that like that as well queen maeve is always depicted a very strong woman warrior a high, a high queen of the connacht but the story of how she wanted to be on this on the same status as any man yeah she, wanted, um, she was a queen who ruled as a king yes a, without Which a doubt. her husband her one of her husbands <laughs> she had a couple of them yeah. uh did not like yeah. and King i always i i always got confused with the mixture of was this the strong woman or was the Breton law at the time yeah, because seemed, there was so many yeah. so much in the Breton law at the time as well it uh, was it seems to have been a weird mix because yeah. uh from my readings of the bits of the ulster cycle ulster was very uh, particularly ulster under king conor macnessa was very patriarchal mm. and things like women were not expected to speak in public mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is why in the wooing of emer when emer Colin, his chat-up line is, will you let me rest my spear between those two mounds? So when she basically, she has a number of big speeches and it's seen as very unusual because it's a woman speaking in public. Yeah. And Ulster was, again, Ulster under King Conor MacNessa was very warrior cult, male-focused. So I don't know what the rest of the country was. Yeah. But Maeve didn't, didn't jar with that whole thing at all oh no she's like you give you could almost like when you tell a story about her or you find things about her you, you just feel the presence of her fur in the story yeah and it's Maeve is not yeah. a nice person oh no I'd say she she's, would be hell to get along oh, with she'd be difficult to get along yeah. with but she was she ruled she wasn't any worse than any of the other kings oh gosh no. but she was sort of demonised because she was the woman and she's also one of the f- like few examples we have of a queen who who is a queen in her own right rather than being someone else's spouse yeah actually a lot of the stories we have about women we don't have many examples of women in their own right we have the stories of the women are kept on because they're someone's love interest or someone's mother yeah which again is a i think an issue of how they were recorded and what mm-hmm. stories were recorded mm-hmm. and you know i'm hoping one day they'll find in some old nunnery just a chest of manuscripts which are all the adventures of the women wonderful (laughs) like there's uh, that's what happened with um itaina madir yeah they found in like an old monastery they found this written record of it and the story had nearly been lost they're like only fragments but they found a complete record of it when did they find it it was relatively recently in the scale of things i think it was like the 19th century wow wow god I could be wrong. This is something I remember someone telling me over a pint, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. I trust your judgment, my darling. I trust your judgment. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's um, that's the animal bride, the deer bride of of the Fiona. Yeah. And we're now going to move move over to a, a more well-known fairy tale. A smaller animal. I think this one fits a little bit better. Yeah, with it, this one fits a bit better line, with Bruno Bethlehem's because it was one of the stories Bruno Bethlehem was talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, I suppose I shouldn't say originally. The Grimm brothers did write this story down and obviously it, it's it's a story that would have been an, in an oral tradition before that. The first recording of, of, of them writing it, it's actually called The Frog King. So it's interesting that we know of it more as The Frog Prince from an English translation that happened in the 1820s, I think. But yeah, um, I... <laughs> tell you this story so we have just been joined by an orla hi <laughs> and yes uh georgia you're going to tell us the story of the frog prince yes which was originally the frog king um or as it was recorded by the Grimm brothers um it was in a later translation in the 1820s that it became the frog prince um but yeah so the, the this story obviously it starts with a king who had three 
beautiful daughters. As kings do. As kings do. But of course, the youngest was the most beautiful. Um, in fact, she was so beautiful that the sun itself, which has seen so much, was astonished whenever it shone on her face. Duh. Anyway, <laughs> so um, now the, the king's castle was very close to this dark forest. Um, Ooh, ominous. Yeah, and under there was a, an old lime tree and under that was a well. Um, and one day this youngest princess was out playing with her favourite toy, a golden ball. She was tossing it up in the air, catching it, and she kept going higher and higher until she reached the point where she threw it so high that when it caught in her hand again, it bounced straight back out, uh, out again and fell into the well. Plop. Yep. <laughs> and so, uh, obviously, she was very upset by this, and she, uh, you know, she began to cry, and she cried, cried louder and louder, and could not be comforted. Um, but then she heard this voice that said, "What ails thee, king's daughter? Thou weepest so that even a stone would show pity." She looks round, and she sees a little frog coming out of the water, looking at her. Um, now she's she's a bit freaked out by this. She just sort of says, "Ah, old water splasher, is it thou?" I'm weeping from my golden ball, which has fallen into the well. Be quiet and do not weep, answered the frog. I can help thee, but what wilt thou give me if I bring thy plaything up again? And she said, whatever thou wilt have, dear frog, my clothes, my pearls, my jewels, and even the golden crown which I'm wearing. Now the frog obviously answered, well... I don't really care for clothes. Yeah, I'm a frog. <laughs> <laughs> thy pearls and jewels or thy golden crown, it wouldn't fit me. Uh, but if thou wilt love me and let me by the, be thy companion and playfellow and sit by thee at thy little table and eat off thy little golden plate and drink out of thy tiny cup and sleep in thy tiny bed. Uh, How small bit is much. this princess? <laughs> <laughs> but also he's a frog. She's massive. Yeah. Embarrassing. Mm. Anyway. Like golden um, things as well. <laughs> he's thinking, now's my moment. I can just ask for everything I ever wanted. <laughs> so he asked for all these things and he said, if thou wilt, wilt promise me this, I will go down below and I will bring thee thy golden ball up again so i didn't think that was such a good deal but (laughs) she so the princess sort of thought to herself like you know oh you know you know i'll say i'll say it i'll say i promise it and then it'll be fine like my fingers crossed he's a frog (laughs) yeah you know um so she says oh yes i promise thee all thou wishest if thou wilt bring me my ball back again (laughs) so the frog goes down and he comes back out again with the the golden ball in his mouth which is quite impressive for a for a frog I don't think they have teeth. I no. don't know. Do I, I, have teeth? I think some toads have teeth. Oh, oh, oh that's strange. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's forget about this little tangent. <laughs> and so he brings the ball back up to to the king's daughter, and she was delighted. She picks it up again, and she ran away with it without another word to the frog. And he says, "Wait, wait! That take me with thee. I can't run as thou canst." But it didn't really matter because <laughs> yep she wasn't listening um she ran home and soon forgot the poor frog who was forced to go back into his well again oh. now the next day oh he comes back <laughs> spoiler <laughs> the next day um the princess was eating with her family having dinner and she heard this splish splash splop coming up behind the door and she was quite frightened and the king sort of saw that she, she wasn't doing so good and and said, um, my child, what art thou so afraid of? Is there perchance a giant outside who wants to carry thee away? Oh, dad, you're so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, no, replied she. It is no giant, but a disgusting frog. Ah. Tell it was him coming back again. What does a frog want with thee? Ah, dear father, yesterday as I was in the forest sitting by the well, playing my golden ball, fell into the water, and because I cried so, the frog brought it out again for me. And because he so insisted, I promised him he should be my companion, but I never thought he would be able to come out of his water. And now he's outside there and he wants to come in to me. And as as they were talking, the frog outside starts crying out to the princess. He says, princess, youngest princess, open the door for me. Dost thou not know what thou saidst to me yesterday by the cool waters of the fountain? Princess, youngest princess, open the door for me. At this point, the king turns to his daughter and says, essentially, you you promised him something. You, you can't go back on that. That's not what good princesses do. Um, go and let him in. And so she, as an obedient daughter, went and opened the door, let the frog in. Um, and he says, lift me up beside thee. So he, she brings him up to her plate, lets him eat off her little golden plate. 
And then he, yeah, he sort of keeps eating her food and she sort of gives into it because her father is watching and she tries eating as well, but she's sort of choking on her food because it's a bit, it's a bit weird. And so when they finish eating, he sort of says, well, you must carry me back to your room now. And so she's, she brings him back and she's there and it says, you know, she began to cry because she was so afraid of the cold frog, which she did not like to touch and which was now to sleep in her pretty clean little bed. And she objected, but the king grew angry and said, look, he helped you and you made a promise. Get on with it. Dad. I know. Yeah, he does sound like a very Irish dad. The dad will be asking about 20 questions in a row saying, (laughs) why is there a frog here? What's going going on? on? Not a, yeah, sure, just do what the frog wants. Talking frog, totally normal. So she uh, she took hold of the frog and brought him upstairs. But when she was in her room and out of sight, she closed the door. And when she was in the bed, he, so he, she didn't bring him into the bed. He crept in to the bed and said, I am tired. I want to sleep as well as thou. Lift me up or I will tell thy father. <gasps> no. Then Mm-mm. she was terribly angry. What? She took him and she threw him with all her might against the wall. Good for her. Good on. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> as you would like, you know. Yeah. Now that will be quiet, odious frog, said she. But when he fell down, (laughs) when he fell down, he was no frog, but a king's son. Lucky days with beautiful, kind eyes. (laughs) And then here it gets, yeah, it's sort of everything sort of happens at once. He, by her father's uh, will, was now her dear companion and husband. Then he told her how he had been bewitched by a wicked witch and how no one could have delivered him from the well but herself and that tomorrow they would go together to his kingdom. Then they went to sleep and the next morning when the sun awoke them, a carriage came driving up with eight white horses, beautiful white horses, which had white ostrich feathers on their heads and were harnessed <laughs> beneath golden chains and behind stood the young, young king's servant, Faithful Henry. Oh. It's one of our favourites. Oh. Faithful Henry had been so unhappy when his master was changed into a frog that he had caused three iron bands to be laid round his heart, lest it should burst with grief and sadness. The carriage was to conduct the young king into his kingdom. Faithful Henry helped them both in and placed himself behind again and was full of joy because of this deliverance. And when they had driven a part of the way, the king's son heard a cracking behind him as if something had broken. So he turned round and he cried, Henry, the carriage is breaking. No, master, Henry replied. It is not the carriage. It is a band from my heart, which was put there in my great pain when you were a frog and imprisoned in the well. Again and once again, while they were were on their way, um, something cracked. And each time the king's son thought the carriage was breaking... But it was only the bands which were springing from the heart of faithful Henry because his master was set free and was happy. Oh. So you know what the real love story there is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely thinking that the, the Prince and Henry should end up together. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yeah. That won. is beautiful. No one cared about that princess in the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like, oh, he's a frog now. Is he grand? Go on off with him. Well, you did promise. No. Hey. Like, but yeah, oh, yeah, it's it's interesting that like so that's the, the sort of like more pure um, original German version by the Grimm brothers. But when it was translated into English in the eighteen twenties by um, Edgar Taylor, um, we we lose the the Henry story. That's yeah. just sort of oh. gone. And also, the princess is much more passive. So she lets the frog sleep in her bed for like three days. I think mm. it is. Um, there is no violent throwing against the wall because that wasn't proper English sort of what Victorian sort of mm. thing to do. Um, he apparently um, softened the story a bit because he thought the German version was far too violent. Was he the one who added to the idea of kissing frogs? Oh, of course there's no kiss in this one. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. There's no kiss. There's, there's a violent fling against the wall. <laughs> no, again, actually, but this yes. one is... He yeah. had to... So how did he turn back into a prince then if it wasn't true love's kiss? So this is the thing. So in the English version... It's a good question. It's a very, very good question there. In the English version, um, it's that he has to stay in the princess's bed for three nights and then the fourth day he turns back into a prince with the German one he has to be chucked against a wall so why is he asking her so is he just trying to provoke her into throwing him against a wall I mean, like, I like that reading because it makes it less creepy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if that's what he had to do to get back into his human form, grand. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, he's just a creep. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Who's that too? <laughs> um, I'm going to pull out my, my old pal, Bruno oh, Bethlehem. Yes. I am it. very tempted by this book, I won't lie. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting book. I don't... I don't agree it when he start, starts like introducing eatable complexes, but some of the other stuff I do. Oh, this is this the guy. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he has a small section on you know animal grooms, and he says you know a lot of stories are about animal brides as well. And 
the sort of two subsections of Animal Brides. One where it's all grand and lovely, and you can just you know sub them in into the same category. The other one, not so much, more more kidnappy. But he he has it all about uh, sex and love. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And that it's about uh, you know the child when they first hear about you know sex and the idea it's very taboo, and when they first start experiencing the sexuality it's taboo and it's scary, and so that's what the the beastly groom or the beastly spouse is is this fear of sex and intimacy but mm. then as they grow and develop they see that it's not and it's the learning to as they themselves change it's them changing turns into uh, transforms them and is this lovely line if i can find it yeah i'm gonna edit out me flipping through pages <laughs> i was gonna say like when i first heard what the theme was i really wanted to tell the story of shrek which is the ultimate could you do live reactions I, of I watching shrek it's a it's from a long paragraph so he's, he's talking about how you know a lot of fairy tales end with you know and they saw each other and they fell in love and that's the end but not even being loved by a prince guarantees happiness to find fulfillment through and in love requires one more transition merely being oneself is not enough even if selfhood is won through a struggle such as the difficulties of Snow White or Cinderella. One becomes a complete human being who has achieved all of his potential only if, in addition to being oneself, one is at the same time able to be happy and be oneself with another. Like Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. I think that's a lovely quote, actually. It is a lovely, is a lovely that, you know, quote. Yeah. Yeah. You don't just have to be yourself on your own. You have to be yourself when you're with someone else, which is kind of like cute yeah. and sweet. Yeah, but then he goes on to talk about the princess frog. And it's all about sex. And yeah, he reads it as basically it's all about sex. Oh, God. It's all about sex. And he has this section about how, you know, the reason it's a frog is that, you know, a frog can represent the, cl- the sort of the way a child might first or, a, you know, transition between child adults first oh, experience God. because it's kind of damp and it's clammy oh, that's and the I'm way thinking. that a frog like swells up when it's going to croak is like arousal <laughs> and it's like ew what are that's you so gross I just didn't oh. need to think about that I mean I wouldn't think of sex as being necessarily that repulsive but when you compare it to a frog <laughs> uh, yeah and and he, he goes very you know like the ball standing for uh, the undeveloped psyche contains all of the potential, but it's not yet realised. Yeah. And when she throws the ball up and loses it, and it goes into the dark water, that's like her childhood innocence being... She's dashed being, away. Well, yeah. She's being awoken to the fact that life, uh, the quote is, life becomes ugly and complicated as it reveals its dark side. Yeah. And then that's mm. as the prince comes out, and like the super <clears throat> ego of the, far, of the king is mm. you know, keep making her keep her promise, keep her arrangements... And she has to, you know, face up to the idea of, you know, you have to face up to the consequences of your action. You made a deal with a frog. Tough. <laughs> it's kind of sad that, like, getting that ball back yeah, then was her yeah. sort of trying to reclaim that yeah. innocence. But and yeah, it comes he with then attachments. goes to this very interesting that, like, as the frog becomes physically closer to her uh, and so closer to intimate, she becomes more and more disgusted and more anxious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you would, which is sort of this fear of, oh, I don't want to have this frog in my bed and yeah. all the things that that might stand for. But... Um, when she throws the frog against the wall, uh, that's when her anger has like come to a point. That is her asserting herself and taking risks in doing it rather than like trying to the way she was trying to like weasel out of the deal yeah. beforehand. She is throwing him against the wall and she's like, I'm going to accept the consequence of my action. I'm going to fling this thing against the wall. And it is by her asserting herself yes. that manages to make the transformation of both the frog and her mm-hmm. which I quite like that reading oh, yeah. I, kind of, I, I, I like well. that too yeah I'm beginning to actually like this story because I viewed it as very problematic to begin it is, with it yeah. is very yeah. problematic but, but then if you look at the idea of the curse is lifted by self-assertion yeah. and yeah. also the woman gaining agency mm-hmm. it's yeah. a princess rescuing a prince yeah yes. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> but I, in I a st- weird way <laughs> I still think that the uh, Mimi but you stop so loud. Mm-hmm. you're not even asleep <laughs> But I, I do like. I would prefer if, like, when they went back to the prince's kingdom, there's like a little, little extra book at the end, and the prince turns to Henry and says, "Henry, I've missed you so much." And Henry says, "Yeah, I've missed you too. I had to put iron bands around my heart." <laughs> let's get married. Yeah, let's get married. Princess, do you want to be a bridesmaid? <laughs> sorry, um, uh, sorry for being such a creep, but I really need you to throw me against the wall so I could marry my my dear beloved Henry. <laughs> and then the two of them live happily ever after. Yeah. Because it's like they have a they have a real relationship. Yeah. They know each other. 
They didn't have to like blackmail with a magic ball. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Henry. Oh, Henry. But then would the princess get to go back home? Yeah, and then yeah. she gets to go back home because yeah. like, she's she's very little. She's a very little princess. Yeah. yeah. She, oh, Christ. Yeah. Like, I, like, in a lot of these fairy tales, they are worryingly young in the original versions, but, that, like, it doesn't give her age, but she's, you know, she's young enough to still be playing with a ball and everything she describes is described as being very tiny. Yeah. yeah. But, but I suppose if you're reading ghost. it about that sort of, like, sexual maturation mm. and thinking it's icky and gross yeah. until you can sort of claim it yeah. yourself... Mm, would yeah. be quite young. Would be quite young, yeah. Definitely too young to marry a prince. Yeah, far too young mm. to marry a frog. But then, like, <laughs> now I say back then as if fairy tales happened in a sort of real time, but I suppose when these stories would have been emerging, was it more normal for girls well, to just, like, once you got your period? It, it kind of depended on your class and your yeah. country. Um, but yeah, you would have been seen as being an adult much younger mm. and getting off and getting married. Um, so like wouldn't have been unusual to get married like 15, 16 but, yeah. but at the same time it's kind of like you're still a child <laughs> yeah. yeah doesn't make well, it right I, just, I still consider myself a child and I'm, in my, I'm in my late 20s we're not children <laughs> what? <laughs> so um, do you have a story? so I haven't chosen Shrek I'm sorry guys god damn it <laughs> okay well, I'm going home don't at me basically um, I've chosen Swan Lake <gasps> Oh, which is one of my most favouritest ballets ever <laughs> by Tchaikovsky. And I think you might be able to play some of Swan Lake because he's long dead. Yeah, if we get the recording. You know, it's not copyrighted. <laughs> Beautiful. So let me set the stage. <laughs> it is the eve of Prince Siegfried's birthday and him and his friends are sitting around a lake, drinking, lighting a fire, general merriment, when his mother shows up and says, Siegfried, no more of this. You are now finally of age. Tomorrow I shall have a ball for your birthday and you shall choose a wife. Siegfried's a bit like... Yeah, Grant, whatever, Mum. <laughs> and then, over the lake, he sees a flock of swans flying. And being the young prince that he is, he says, Come on, lads, grab your guns, let's go hunting. <laughs> so he follows the, the flock of swans. Is it a flock of swans? I is think that it's the, a flock. Is that the, the collective kind of... noun, is it? I... Um, if anyone I knows the collective us. noun for swans, <laughs> tweet uh, us. Um, <clears throat> a complaint. A complaint of swans. <laughs> and then, so, they finally catch up with the swans. And by the banks of a lake by moonlight, a flight of swans glide past, led by their own queen. This prince, the prince's friends are eager for the chase, but he begs them to leave him. And whilst he is alone, the swan queen comes to him in the human form of Odette and tells her story. She tells him that she is under the spell of an evil magician, Von Rothbart, and reveals that by day she and her friends are turned into swans. Also persecuted by her stepmother, that subjection will only end when she marries. Until then, she has only her crown to protect her. The whole swan group arrive and they reproach the prince for attempting to deprive them of their beloved leader. Odette intercedes and the prince discards his crossbow. In my version, it's a gun. He <laughs> and Odette dance, professing their love. The entire flock joins in and act two ends as the evil stepmother, disguised as an owl, slaps <laughs> heavily from above. <laughs> It is the following evening, <laughs> and in a luxurious hall in the prince's castle, preparations are underway for the feast. Wolfgang, his servant, orders the other servants around, and guests start to mat materialise. And finally, the prince's mother and her entourage arrive. A sequence of turns commences until the princess asks her son which of the women at the party he favours. None, he replies to her annoyance. <laughs> At a sudden fanfare, Von Rothbart, the evil magician, enters with his daughter, Odile, whose resemblance to Odette strikes the so prince. we've got Odile and Odette. We've got an Odile and Odette. One of them's good and one of them's evil. <laughs> one of them only wears white, one of them only wears black. I wonder which one is which. Mm. <laughs> Not that they're played by the same ballerina. <laughs> whose, re whose resemblance to Odette strikes the prince. 
Odile herself dances enticingly, followed by an elaborate sequence of national dances by the company. The prince's mother is pleased to see that Odile has caught her son's favour. The young couple conjoin themselves together and the prince's mother and Von Rothbard advance to announce the betrothal. With that, everything turns dark and an agitated of the principal swan, Odette, is seen. A window flies open noisily and through it, a white swan with a crown flies in. <laughs> Horrified, the prince pushes Odile away and rushes out amid general confusion. You lied to me. You're not Odette. You're not Odette. The girls, uh, the girl swans, including Odette, gather around the lake. Odette is heartbroken. His her prince, her love, is gone for her evil twin. <laughs> Who's not really her twin. Who's not really her twin at all. But it's evil. It's evil. <laughs> prince Siegfried finds them consoling each other. He explains to Odette the trickery of von Rothbart and she grants him her forgiveness. She's very forgiving. She's mm. very forgiving, but I say she's also just like really sick and tired of being a swan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It isn't long before von Rothbard appears and tells the prince that he must honour his word and marry his daughter or both he and Odette will die. Again, this theme of dads just being like, stick to your word. Very mean. (laughs) Um, Prince Siegfried refuses. A fight follows. Odette and Siegfried die in each other's arms. Von Rothbart's evil spell is broken by the power of Odette and Siegfried's love for each other, and Von Rothbart is destroyed by the swans, who are also released from their enslavement. Everybody's so he's torn, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> torn apart by swan women. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. He's torn apart by, by swan women. Yeah. That he so, swans is. can be vicious. Though. They are, though, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Is that film, The Swan Princess, like, yeah, loosely based on swan women? Yeah, I just is. didn't make that connection. Yeah. Oh, I've never seen that. Uh, yeah, it's an animated one by, not Disney, the other group. Yeah, it was the one oh, you mean, uh, Anastasia people, is it? Yeah. What's his name? Blue, blue... John Blues? Yeah, John I think it's John Blues, but I could yeah. be wrong. Yeah. But yeah, but they actually have been that. They have a lovely sequence at the beginning where it's the, the two parents are trying to set them up, yeah. and the kids are like, This is not my idea of fun. Why <laughs> do I get dragged off here every summer to spend time with this girl, boy? Ugh. Yeah, and then really they grow up and they fall in love and then they get turned into swans. Oh, but that wonderful moment there when he's just like, Oh, I, I love you, Odette. And she's like, why? why? And he's like, um, you're beautiful. Yeah, and she's like, oh, Is that the only reason you like me because I grew boobs. And <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah. 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 It's uh, sweet, but it's um, it's kind of like a, a nice version of the Swan Maiden story. Yeah. Which mm. is uh, when you find a lot in German and and Russian again. So you yeah. probably took it, which is not so nice and consensual. Oh, oh no, does the prince... The prince is a bit of a dick in this. I think I remember watching the ballet. Oh yeah, the swan, there's, um, the, it, it is the ballet, but there was Black Swan as well. Yeah, Black mm. Swan, yeah, with Natalie yeah. Portman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is about sort of like how her ballet really messes up with ballerinas. Yeah. Mm. But in the, in the, in the Swan Maiden story, it starts, you know, similar enough. There's a young prince who's off hunting because that's what you do when you're a prince. Obviously. Obviously. Mm-hmm. And he is, you know, going through the fields and he sees swans! And chases because that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, and he arrives and he sees the swans. They land on the lake, but then they take off their feathers and they're beautiful women naked in the lake. And he watches for a while, but then he has an idea that he will steal one of the swans' skins and he takes it away and he hides it somewhere. And then the other swans they'll put on their feathers and they fly up. And this one woman is left. Where is my clothes? Oh, oh where are my feathers? I can't fly. And the prince appears and goes, Ha! He must be my wife now. <laughs> and takes her back and forces her into marriage. Great. And he thinks, ah, I've got a beautiful swan maiden. Everything's grand. And she is desperately unhappy. And she's searching the castle top to bottom looking for her feathers. It's like the Selkies. I was just going to yeah. say it's like the Selkies. It's basically yeah. Selkies, but with swans. Yeah. And in the version I came across first, uh, one night, like they're lying in bed and she is... She's about to start to cry herself to sleep. He's snoring away, totally oblivious. And she hears a rapping on the door, on the window and it's it's her swan sisters and they're flapping there, which is very difficult to hover as a swan. <laughs> <laughs> they're saying, your, your feathers, your feathers are in the mattress. Take the knife, get your feathers. 
And she picks up the knife and she's about to rip open the mattress to find her feathers, but then she looks at the prince and thinks, he's going to stop me. And she has the knife already in her hand. And so she does what she needs to do. And when she flies away, seven white swans fly from the castle. And one who's as red as blood. Oh, yeah. Good woman. Good, good woman. Swan. Yeah, so good it's, swan it's, woman. It's square like that one. Yeah, he likes yeah. it. He square. Yeah, so it's very similar to like the selfie yeah. stories, like the yeah. stealing the skins and the. She does. She does not want to be human. Yeah. Whereas, no. Evidently, no. Like. In all the other ones, she's a human who has been transformed. Whereas she's a magical swan who does not like this prince coming along and Just grabbing her. Yeah. Yeah. Kidnap. Well, it is technically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I seem to remember because I've seen the ballet a few times. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, they, there's like they they can change the ending. They, yeah, they can change they with the happy ending, sometimes the sad ending. But it's also they change how willing the Odette is Ooh. as well, because it's like sometimes she doesn't really present herself to the prince at all, and he's just like kind of kind of like spying yeah. on them in a lake, mm. being like, "Oh, I must have her," and blah yeah. blah blah. Magic Swan Lady. Yeah. 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 So it's very interesting. Very interesting. It's a beautiful ballet if you ever it get is. to see it. Gorgeous music. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, Squire is looking. Oh. He's just being. I'm get, yeah, I'm getting cleaned. Is, is <laughs> that your transforming companion? Is it? Squire? Yes. Yeah. No. No. What? What? Well, now I prince? have to kill you all. <laughs> Are you secretly a prince? Okay. It's my prince. <laughs> Look at his face. <laughs> no. You're like that I, prince I, I squire. Suppose I am. <laughs> I'm a squire. <laughs> yeah. Or a squire. Yeah. So should we leave it there or will we do one story with a happy ending? Uh, I don't mind. Are there any stories <laughs> with happy endings? <laughs> well, I've got one that has, a, has an almost happy ending. Go on. It's yeah, got yeah. some mystery in the middle. Yeah. It's Hans my hedgehog. Aww. Yeah. Hello, squire. The squire's hopped up to say hello. <laughs> Are you going to tell the story with me? Well... I, I got I first came across the story from the the Jim Henson the storyteller which is a eight part eight part TV series um, made by the Jim Henson Company so it's got puppets and storytelling all good things yeah mm-hmm. but I first came across this story in this form but there was a king one day out hunting as kings do and the king wandered deep into the forest and became completely lost and the faintest idea which way he was going to get back but then he walked past a waterfall and he could hear music and he thought well the, I'll ask whoever's there for directions and I'm the king so of course they will give them to me and he walks behind the waterfall and he finds this glorious hall and there is a table laid out with a feast and he sits down and he starts to eat and drink and enjoy himself and then from the back of the hall comes a giant hedgehog riding a giant cockerel playing the flute Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the giant hedgehog jumps from its giant cockerel mount and says, You, what are you doing here in my hall, eating my food, drinking my wine, blah? Because <laughs> hedgehogs apparently talk like that. And the king's like, Oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, I was lost, and you know, so on. And but, but thank you for your hospitality. And the hedgehog's like, I did not give you my hospitality, you took my <laughs> hospitality. This will not stand. All right, you're, you're lost and you're the king, so I will give you this magic charm this feather or something that will guide you through but you must promise me the first thing that greets you on your return i can have i will come in a, after a year and a day have passed to claim my prize and the king goes oh yeah sure grand goes off and he is magically led home and when he's you know close to home he thinks oh yeah that whole thing about giving up i know i'll call for the hounds to come out and uh see me then I can just give, give him one of the dogs he'll love a dog lovely hedgehogs and dogs get on famously <laughs> so he takes his horn and he blows the horn and of course his hounds hearing the horn they come running to greet their master but his daughter has been quite worried about the fact that her dad's gone missing and you know he's getting on in years so she runs out and she runs ahead of all of the dogs Whew, that's and the, impressive I know she's fast <laughs> and the first thing to greet him on his return is his daughter and he's like oh oh this isn't going to go well and he, he comes inside and his daughter's thrilled to see him but he's sad and he's weeping and he says daughter after a year and a day have passed your husband is going to come and claim you and he's a hedgehog <laughs> <laughs> and the daughter's none too pleased with this and uh, she's dad you're, you're choking I'm not marrying a hedgehog <laughs> but a year and a day passed and they hear a flute at the gate and there is the giant hedgehog 
on the giant cockerel and he's come to claim his wife and he seems to magically know that it was the daughter that greeted the husband for her first and well the king's like looks I'm sorry daughter I made it my promise uh, again with these dads <laughs> like, I know <laughs> and the daughter's like well father uh, I suppose I have to do this and so she marries the uh, the hedgehog and she's thinking this is not good how, how does this even work with a hedgehog and she's lying in the wedding bed thinking very very worried he's prickly <laughs> and like you know splinters uh, but the hedgehog comes in and he doesn't get into the bed he lies down next to the fire and he says go to sleep and uh, she does but she wakes up in the middle of the night because well, she hasn't been that easy sleeping and she looks over to where the hedgehog should be lying but lying there instead is a beautiful man and he's lying next to a hedgehog skin and the princess sort of tiptoes up and uh, he's lying on the floor and it's cold and she lies down next to him, puts her arm around him and sort of cuddles him a bit. And then when they, uh, when you know, the sun is rising, he turns around and says, in a sort of half-asleep way, three nights. Keep secret three nights and I'll be human forever. Don't you think? Great. <laughs> and the next morning her mother's like, well, uh, how was um, last night? She said, fine. Everything's grand. But she doesn't say anything about uh, her hedgehog. Him being a hedgehog. Him being yeah. a human hedgehog. <laughs> and second night, same things happens, only this time she persuades him not to sleep on the floor, but to sleep in the bed. And well, the next day when she comes down to breakfast, her mother knows, okay, something's going on. She keeps pestering her because he's a hedgehog. No, come on, seriously, he's a hedgehog. He can't be. I mean, and the daughter eventually says, well, um, he's not always a hedgehog. See, he can take off his magic skin and then he becomes human. Oh, and he you, says, I, yes. Shut up for three days. Stupid girl. And the mother says, well, I'm not sure about this three day thing. Look, tonight when he goes to sleep, take his skin and burn it. <gasps> no, oh, woman. that's abuse. I know. And well, that night after they, uh, after the, the hedgehog has fallen asleep and his skin's on the floor, she gets up and she picks up the skin and she throws it into the fire. Thinking he can never turn into a hedgehog again. And suddenly he starts to scream and writhe around as if he's being burnt alive. And says, you stupid woman! Why could you not just wait? Ah! And he runs away. Aww. And the princess is left there and she weeps and she weeps and she cries and she cries until her hair turns white. And then she decides she's going to go and find her husband. And so she goes to a blacksmith and he gets her to make her a pair of iron shoes. And she begins to walk, looking for her husband. And she walks through the forest, and she walks up the mountain, and she walks through the desert, and she walks and she walks, until she wears out those iron shoes. And when she's worn out the shoes, she comes to a waterfall, and she can hear music. And it's a song she recognises. And so she creeps in behind the waterfall, and she watches. And then, from the back of the hall, rides the giant hedgehog on the giant cockerel because he managed to get his skin back somehow and he sits down and he pours a glass of wine for himself and he pours a glass of wine for the cockerel and he says here's a toast to the woman I love who couldn't wait three days and then his bride comes out and says well I'm here now and she goes and says I love you and I will always love you and I'm sorry but please let me make amends and she throws her arms around him and he starts to you know he's prickly and but she won't let go and even though his spines are pricking her arms and making them bleed she holds tight and she feels the spines melt away but then he's becoming a wolf but she still holds tight to him and he goes from a wolf to a bear to a tiger to an eagle to an eel and at last to a man and he says to her you could have broken the spell much easier just by yeah. being quiet for those few days but because <laughs> your love for me held and you held me in my, your arms as I was transformed through all those creatures the spell is now broken and we can be together forever Yay. Yay. so happy ending that's a really good story that's a really <laughs> good yeah. story yeah. yeah and the, the Jim Henson version is beautiful I, it's it, all done through puppets is it's, it it's half puppets half humans yeah so oh. it's this lovely mix and it's just and is it like Muppet Puppets? Um, well, it's made by the same studio, but then like some of them are Muppets, some of them are more like the goblins from Labyrinth and ah, creatures yeah. and things. And... Spookaroo. Yeah, it, it, it is quite creepy at parts, but it's I, I love it. Yeah. What, what was it called again? Hans My Hedgehog. Hans My Hedgehog. Uh, the Jim Henson, the storyteller. The storyteller. Yeah. And just the thing about like her holding on to him as he goes through all these things, it's, it's very similar in the Ballad of Tamlin. Oh. Um, it's this famous Scottish story about a, a young man called Tamlin who was stolen by the fairy queen because she has this thing where she has to give the devil a human soul every seven years classic yeah. but he, um, mm. Tamlin bumps into this young woman called Jenny who is a badass bitch if ever there was one and we'll do a whole other thing but there is one point where she's trying to rescue him from the fairy queen and he says look you need to hold on to me 
and don't let go no matter what weird thing I turn into. <laughs> and he to- and she holds on to him and he transforms into all of these terrifying creatures, but she manages to hold on to him and break the hold of the fairy queen. Ah. Yeah. So. It's amazing. Fixing everything with a great big hug. Yeah. Yes, I love hugs. it. Hugs. Consensual <laughs> hugs. hugs. Consensual hugs. <laughs> Consensual. Yes, <laughs> yes indeed. Mm-hmm. So that has been our slightly longer than usual episode. Yeah. We've got four stories this time. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, ranging from the bittersweet to the sweet to the problematic to the weird to the awe. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a journey, guys. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> the squire's just poked his head up. Hello, Squire. Hey, okay. um, I've been Emily. I've been Orla. I've been Deirdre. I've been Georgia. And if you've enjoyed this, uh, please rate, review, subscribe, all those good things. If you want to get in contact with us, we're Tales from the Shadows. No. <laughs> Every time. Every time. <laughs> the podcast is Sounds from the Shadows, but on social media, we're Tales from the Shadows. On Twitter, we're at Tales Shadows. Uh, on Instagram and Facebook, we're Tales from the Shadows. Uh, we also have a Patreon. I can't remember if we're Tales from the Shadows or Sounds from the Shadows on Patreon. Sounds. Sounds, yeah. I yeah. think we're Sounds and the Shadows on Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe. We've got a few patrons. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank and you. And we Thank hope you. you enjoyed the stories. See you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.